After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him, and Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large, large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners to repentance. This is God's word. You may be seated. Good morning. If you are visiting with us today, you may not realize that there is a sermon outline within the bulletin, and you can use that to follow along if you wish. If you'd like to turn to Luke chapter 5, in just a few moments we'll be reading, starting in verse 27. But before we delve into God's Word, let's go to our Father in prayer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we confess that it's easy to approve of what we think is right and the way that we think we ought to live and how we ought to go. And Father, we pray that whenever we come before your word and we open it and we study it, that we might have hearts that are soft and moldable before you. That we might desire to hear how you might want to shape us and mold us to be different than we are. Father, we have given our lives to serving you. And we ask that you help us to be the disciples that you would have us to be. Father, in this morning as we look at your word, we pray that you may bless this time of study. It's, your, it's in your son's name that we ask these things. Amen. Our theme this year is every day. Every day we want to live for our Lord. Every day we want to walk in his steps. As his disciples. A few weeks ago, we handed out these orange reminders so that wherever we went, we would remember that every day, everywhere we go, we are to be his disciples. As we open God's Word and we read in the Gospels, we have the story of Jesus and how he lived and what he did and, and how he died for us and was raised again. This morning we're going to be looking at one of those Gospels, the Gospel of Luke. Now, remember who Luke, who, remember who Luke was. He was that doctor who accompanied the Apostle Paul on some of Paul's missionary journeys. And he was that fellow who was with Paul and went into the front lines. He saw Paul and, and others and probably participated himself in, in presenting that message about Jesus. 
He saw what was needed for people to hear in order that they could know what God had done for them through Christ. And so that they could know who Christ was. He saw what people who had no idea of what it meant to serve God, what they needed to hear so that their lives would be transformed and become like Christ. So they could live as disciples. And it's Luke who out of the life of Jesus is going to select certain events as he writes this gospel telling people what they need to know about the Christ. And it's within this, storing, uh, this telling of the story of Jesus that we have Luke chapter 5, beginning in verse 27. The story that was just read a moment ago. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. Follow me, he said to him. And he got up and followed him, leaving everything behind. Then Levi gave a great banquet in his house for Jesus. And there was a large crowd of tax collectors and others sitting at the table with them. But the Pharisees and their experts in the law complained to his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them, Those who are well don't need a physician, but those who are sick do. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. The story is simple. Jesus calls this tax collector while he's working at his booth to come follow him. His name is Matthew or, or Levi. And so Matthew decides that he's going to do this, but not only that, he's going to throw a party. He's going to have a banquet for Jesus. So he invites his friends, the, the tax collectors he knows. He, he invites other people that he knows to, to come to this great banquet that he has prepared for Jesus. Apparently, sometime after the meal has ended, the Pharisees and scribes who know what has happened, they complain to Jesus' disciples. And they say to him, Why did you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Now, as Luke tells the story, the disciples never get to answer the question. Instead, Jesus jumps right in and he tells the Pharisees and the scribes why he eats and drinks with tax collectors and sinners. But the question is a valid one, a good one. Disciples, why are you eating and drinking with tax collectors and sinners? There are many theoretical possibilities. You know, a lot of people like good food. <laughs> and one way to get a group of people together is throw out the food, and here they come. And maybe the reason why the disciples are there is simply they've heard Matthew, the rich guy, he's going to throw this big banquet, and there's going to be some great food there, and maybe the only reason they're there is because there's good food. Or, or maybe the reason is because they're guilty by association. You see, we're just tagging along with Jesus. We're, we're just following Him where He goes, and, and He just happens to go to this, this banquet that He's been invited to, and, and because we're tagging along with Jesus, that's why we're there. 
You know, if it wasn't for Jesus, we wouldn't be here. Later this morning, we're going to come back to this unanswered question given to disciples. Although the disciples do not answer the question, Jesus explains why He is eating and drinking with tax collectors and sinners. And His answer boils down to, I'm here to offer a cure to those who are sick. Now the fact that Luke chose to include this story raises the question, why? Luke, out of all that Jesus did, why did you include this particular story? I mean, is this just like a little footnote, an interesting comment? Why are you telling the people, the Gentiles, about this story? Why is it there? What we discover when we look at the entire Gospel of Luke is that this story is here for a very big reason. Luke wants us to know Jesus' lifestyle involved eating with sinners. This meal where, where Jesus finds himself eating with tax collectors and sinners is not an accidental fluke, but it's a characteristic of his lifestyle. Repeatedly, Jesus, or Luke tells us that Jesus spent time with sinners and that he had a reputation of being a friend of, of those who had sullied and stained their lives by the bad choices that they had made. And so when Jesus decides, for example, to quote the reputation that he's acquired among people, what does Luke say it is? Luke chapter 7 and verse 34. Jesus says, The Son of Man has come eating and drinking. That's my lifestyle. And you say, Look at him a glutton and a drunk, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. There is a, a characteristic, a stereotype about who Jesus is. When you ask the question, who is Jesus, there's a thought that comes to people's mind. He's a friend of sinners. He's spending time socializing with them. That's who Jesus is. Jesus is quoting what people are saying about him, about his lifestyle. And Luke wants us to know that. In contrast to the austere lifestyle of John the Baptist, Jesus socializes with those who are far from God. And everybody knows it. Luke chapter 15, verses 1 and 2. Luke again is going to select a story and, and give it to us. And of all the tax collectors and sinners were coming to hear him. But the Pharisees and the experts in the law were complaining, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. On this occasion, Jesus is not sitting down to eat with anybody. Although he is welcoming, once again, sinners into his presence. But notice the complaint of the Pharisees. The complaint is, this man, he eats with tax collectors and sinners. He welcomes them. You see, this event has one more time triggered the ongoing complaint about Jesus. Even though he's not engaged at that moment with eating with anybody. And this complaint is against an ongoing pattern that's characteristic of who Jesus is. Now Luke wants us to know Jesus' lifestyle. And it is a lifestyle that is causing some religious consternation among the Pharisees. Luke chapter 19, verses 5 and following, it's the story of little Zacchaeus, that tax collector who climbs up into a tree just to catch a glimpse of Jesus passing by. 
And we read that Jesus looked up at him and said, Zacchaeus, come down quickly because I must stay at your house today. And when the people saw it, they all complained. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. In fact, it has been said that in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus is either going to a dinner, he's at a dinner, or he's coming from a dinner. It's a slight exaggeration, but not much. And we also look, we discover as we look at the Gospel of Luke that he's not just eating with sinners, he's willing to eat with anybody, including the Pharisees. Luke chapter 7, verse 36, he goes to eat with Simon the Pharisee. Luke chapter 9, verse 12, he feeds the, the multitude of the five loaves and two fishes and, and he doesn't care who's there, he's going to eat with them. Luke chapter 11, verse 37, he eats with another Pharisee. Luke chapter 14 and verse 1, he's still at another meal with another Pharisee. The reason for Jesus' complaint is that they viewed Jesus' social behavior as undermining a godly piety. The Jewish law commanded, you are to distinguish between what's clean and unclean. Leviticus 10.10. You have the clean and the unclean, and you separate them. You distinguish between them. Now, within first century Judaism, this principle was also applied to people. And it caused the Jews to erect barriers between themselves and others. Joseph Neusner, a well-known Jewish scholar, writing about the first century, has written regarding the Pharisees that in particular they had, quote, formed themselves into haverot, or fellowships, eating their meals together, observing ritual purity regulations, setting themselves apart from other Jews. You see, the Pharisees were not just not associating with some people, they were only associating with a very small set of people. Apparently, mealtime came to signify more than just a social event. But for them, it was a fellowship where one maintained purity and, and affirmed godliness. In practical terms, sinners were people to be kept at arm's length. Don't taint yourself by contacting what is impure. And so functionally, sinners fell onto a list of unimportant people, outcasts, those that you can safely ignore and it's not going to adversely affect your spiritual relationship with God. You can live just fine with them over there. From the Pharisaic perspective, Jesus was blurring the lines between what was pure and what was not. Jesus was corrupting pure liv living by his social habits. The Pharisees are shocked that, that even the disciples have been pulled into this and they ask the question, why are you eating with tax collectors and sinners? While we don't rise to regulating purity in the way the Pharisees did, cannot our behavior sometimes reflect something similar in keeping at bay those who have lived in rebellion against God? Perhaps this is just my confession, but I suspect I'm not unique. I was raised in a Christian family. And from very early in my upbringing, I learned Paul's words. 
I memorized them. Bad company corrupts good morals. Bad company corrupts good character. And I wanted to serve God. I wanted to live to please Him. And I knew that if I spent time with people who were running away from God, that could adversely affect me. And so, faced with a whole range of scenarios, I would choose to step this way and not get too close because I didn't want to walk down a path that was not good. And if you're not concerned what unbelievers think about you, it's quite easy just to live at a superficial level among them and treat them pleasantly but distantly. There's something else, too. Has the following ever been your experience? In my neighborhood, where I have a great street, we, we fairly often get out together and we're in the front lawn and watering down the front lawn, chatting with each other. We'll, we'll have parties in the front yard and put up tables and all eat together and get to know each other really well. And there's a fellow who lives several doors down from me who is just overwhelmed with alcohol. I mean, a conversation starts up and, and he's got to, with a laugh or two, start talking about, well, my college days, I can't remember them. He thinks it's great. Every year he goes to the Super Bowl with some of his buddies. Takes about three or four days off, he's gone. The wife has the kids. Comes back, can't remember really what happened. It's great. Every story that comes up, somehow for him gets back to alcohol. Oktoberfest would be heaven for him. I'm not trying to be cruel or anything, but I don't relate to that. That is so far from my world. I have a hard time, although I try to talk with him and, and, and interact with him, I have a hard time understanding where he's coming from. You see, there's something else that has been written. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, 14 and 15, What fellowship does light have with darkness? What does a believer share in common with an unbeliever? And these words underscore just that, that general principle that there's a huge disparity between living for God and walking in His ways versus fundamentally serving self and doing whatever I want and whatever I feel like doing. And it's forces like these two that I've just mentioned that can quite naturally create what I call in our mustard seed workshop, that evangelism workshop that we have, the Christian cocoon. We're Christians because we share in common. We draw together. And we lose contact with people who are far from God. To quote Mark Middleburg, studies show that most Christians don't have very many, if any, friendships with non-Christians. This chart represents the typical results that have come from studies. And basically what it says is the longer you serve God and you walk close to Him, typically the fewer non-Christian close friends you will have. 
The trend is, the longer you're a Christian, the less time you spend socially with those who live far from God. And while it would distort both us and the Pharisees to simply equate us with them, that would be acronistic, that would be dishonest. But if we are honest, it would appear that we can also easily fall into isolating ourselves from people. People who are not serving God and holding them at a certain distance. Now, it's responding to these protectionistic impulses that Jesus countered them by answering why he ate and drank with sinners. Those who are well don't need a physician, but those who are sick do. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. This is an answer. An answer explaining his mission and his method. If people have not yet chosen to serve God, then whether they realize it or not, they are spiritually ill. And Jesus' goal involved encouraging sinners to repent, and that is to change their lives toward God. And so he lived deliberately, and he associated with them, and socialized with them. And accordingly, Jesus' actions were to reorient sinners toward God. His social actions were for the purpose of reorienting the sinner toward God. He, he wasn't spending time with them just to kind of go along and have fun. He wasn't just spending time with them and was going to allow them to shape him and, and change who he was. Rather, one of Jesus' methods for impacting others involved socializing with other people to show that he cared about them and to allow them to really understand who he was, that he might point them toward God. In Luke chapter 15, verses 1 and 2, Jesus delves deeper into the why he spent time with people. He reveals in how he responds to this situation. He reveals what he knows. Luke 15, 1. Now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming to hear him, but the Pharisees and the experts in the law were complaining, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Luke records this response. Out of all that Jesus did, he wants us to know what's in Jesus' head. He wants us to know why he's doing what he's doing. There's a purpose why Luke includes the next three stories that Jesus tells. He wants us to learn from the master. And what the master says is, let me tell a story about some sheep. Then Jesus told them this parable, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that, in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. I've got another story, Jesus says. I need to tell you about a coin. Or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Does she not light a lamp, sweep the house and search dil diligently until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way, 
I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. These stories reveal that Jesus knew three truths. The first thing he knew is that people matter to God. Those who are lost, they warrant an all-out search. And when people finally make the decision to turn to God, to turn to their Creator, then that is a time for great rejoicing because people are valuable. He also knew that people are spiritually lost. These are stories about lostness. You know, it's going to be naive to assume that everybody recognizes their true spiritual state. Oh, to be sure, some people are going to feel the crushing weight of their sin and they're going to feel how that guilt is just tearing them apart. But there's going to be many others who are living what we might call a, a basically moral life. Uh, they're, they're living as basically good citizens. And they may also be living far from God. And they're not feeling particularly disturbed about that. They're feeling pretty much okay. But that does not change the reality that they have chosen at one point or another to have done what is wrong. Whether it be that little white lie or a whole lot of other things. And because of that sin, God cannot accept them into His presence. God is holy. He can't bring sin into His presence and fellowship with it. We might have sometimes, people might have sometimes difficulty with that idea. Perhaps we can understand it a little bit better if we think of like a Hitler or a Stalin. We, we can see that with all the atrocities, the horrific things that they have done, that for us to say, well, you know, we're just going to be tolerant. We're, we're just going to embrace you. We're going to ignore all that. Just come right over here. Everything's okay. That there is something evil about looking at a Stalin or looking at a Hitler and saying, all that you did to people, that's okay. We can embrace it. We can accept it. That is not good. We can see that easily. But when a holy God looks at sin, even those what people call little white sins, He sees how that has horrifically destroyed what He has made. He sees how that has torn that spiritual being that He made. And it has separated that one from Him. And He cannot bring that into His presence and remain just and holy. Just as we can see, we cannot bring a Hitler and say, ah, everything's okay, let's just walk hand in hand together. And so God, because He's a holy God, a God, loving God, but a holy God, He has to condemn sin, all sin, far from Him. Jesus knew people need to reorient their lives toward God. People are lost, and, and they need to make that change and reorient their lives toward God. And so this is why Jesus drew near to the spiritually lost. 
But then Jesus would hone his answer about why he spent time with sinners to a razor-sharp point with a third story that he tells. It's a, fa- it's a story that we're very familiar with. It's a, f- a story of a father with two sons. The prodigal son. The first son is, is the younger son. He's very foolish. He asks his father for all of his inheritance. He takes it. He goes off to a far distant land. He ruins his life by wasting all that he's been given. He lives riotously, has made horrible choices, destroys himself, reduced to squalor. Finally comes to his senses and says, you know, even my father's servants live better than this. I'll go home. As he goes home, there is this father who sees him from a long ways off. The father goes running to him, embraces him. There's a feast. There's good clothing. Everything for this son who was lost and now is found. When the story is typically taught, it's used to teach that God will accept us no matter who we are, no matter what we've done. And that's true. There's only one huge problem with that. That's not why Jesus told the story. That's not His lesson. And while it's true that Jesus will accept us no matter how far we... God will accept us no matter how far we run from Him, and it warms our heart to hear that, Jesus wanted to teach something else. The Father's behavior is what motivated Him because of what he valued. And listen to what he values. For the Son of Mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. People matter to God. And Jesus tells three stories to get this truth across. But in contrast to the Pharisees' attitude, who viewed some people with disdain, heaven rejoices when, whenever people, those very people that the Pharisees want to hold at distance when they turn to God. And so Jesus is going to tell a story, but it's about two sons, not just one. And it is what happens with the second son that we discover how Jesus wants these three parables and his lifestyle of welcoming sinners to impact us. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field, and when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied. And your father has killed the fatted calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fatted calf for him. My son... The father said, You are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad, because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Was his older brother so very different from the younger? At first glance, yes. The younger one's rebellious. The older one is not. But the older one has a deep heart problem just like the younger one. The younger one, he discovered his heart problem. He turns to home and he goes to the father. But you see, the older brother doesn't even know he has a heart problem. 
He's willing to keep the sinner at a distance and not rejoice and not go to him. And this is just like the Pharisees and the teachers who are complaining about Jesus spending time with sinners. And just as the father went out and pleaded with that older brother and tried to change his mind, Jesus is pleading with the religious people to change their minds about how they think about sinful people. He wants them to think like God thinks. He wants their hearts to be soft and shapened so their behavior will become different. The fact that Jesus told these three parables shows that Jesus wants those who keep their distance from sinners to be transformed into having hearts like God, to walk in His footsteps. Your eyes have never locked eyes with another human being whom God does not love. It does not matter what they've done, what clothes they are wearing, what job they have. It is because God does not have a list of unimportant people, a list of people that can be safely ignored, that Jesus ate and He drank with tax collectors and sinners. There is a reason why Luke is including all of these stories about how the Messiah, the Son of God, lived. And there's a reason why Jesus tells these stories and gives the reasons that He does for His behavior. It's because He wants people to walk in His steps as disciples. One of the characteristics of the Gospel of Luke, it has been said, is that it's a handbook of discipleship. That those who have ears to hear and eyes to see might have a godly concern and a love for everyone that their eyes fall upon. And that they might live deliberately to help bring them to God. Jesus had success in spending time with people who are far from God. Luke chapter 19, we have one of those stories. Zacchaeus had Jesus come into his house. And while they were together, Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, half of my possessions I now give to the poor. And if I have cheated anyone of anything, I am paying back four times as much. Then Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this household because he too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. We began this morning by looking at a question asked to some disciples. Why are you eating with tax collectors and sinners? Perhaps that's a question that we need to think about. Well, why are we spending time in socializing with people who live far from God? Maybe the bigger question is, are we? God loves you. He loves each one of us. He sent His Son to die because He loves us that much. He's done everything He can to rescue us and to save us. And perhaps this morning you're a disciple. You're, you're someone who has responded to Jesus and you've relied on His death for you and now you're living to serve God. And He says, walk in My footsteps. Be a disciple. 
Perhaps this morning you're someone who has not yet given your life to God. Perhaps you have chosen to honor God, and, and maybe even for many years you have, you have lived recognizing who God is. And you've honored Him as God, but you have not yet chosen to respond to the message that's presented in the New Testament. That Jesus is the Son of God, and that He died for our sins and was raised again, and we are to rely on Him by being buried with Him in baptism. And when we come up out of that water, His blood, His sacrifice has cleansed us of our sins. And we're raised up to be someone who no longer lives for self, but now is going to live for God. And I'm not in control of my life. He tells me how to live, what to do, and what the agenda is. I'm a disciple. And if you haven't yet made that commitment why not this morning? Why not come if you believe that Jesus is the Son of God who died for you and was raised again? Why not come and acknowledge Him and be buried with Him and raised up to that new life? We're going to have some shepherds down here. And whatever the, the, the concern is, whether it's a prayer concern or, or whether it's the need to respond to Christ in the, in the way that is described in the New Testament, why not come this morning as we stand and sing?